When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The world of crypto is an incredibly exciting journey that we're all going on together. We don't know where it's leading to, but we know it's going to be absolutely massive. Join me, Ral Pal, as I guide you on our adventure to discover just what this new world will look like. Mike, fantastic to get you on Real Vision finally. So excited that I'm here. Thank you for the invitation. So listen, um, first, give people a little bit of background. We'll go through all of that and we'll, we'll go back in time before that. But just w- what you do now, because you do a bunch of things. Indeed. Yes, it's been a, you know, it's been a busy month, but you know, last 13 months, I mean, just a really exciting uh, last few years, frankly. So uh, over the past year and a half, I transitioned from running The Block, you know, one of the leading media research and information businesses in the crypto space, um, to Paxos, where for the past year, I've been working as VP stablecoin, running the stablecoin business uh, for Paxos as it scales, third largest stablecoin issue in the world. And was also uh, during the past year while doing that, investing in Web3 companies, raised a small operator fund, $7.4 million called Sixth Man Ventures. We made more than 60 investments, average check size of $100,000 in two Web3 infrastructure and application companies. Uh, More recently, we raised our $125 million dollar fund two for six man ventures so we can invest at larger scale there's just so many great companies projects entrepreneurs entering the space existing in the space already and doing new things and over the last couple of weeks uh have founded with some other folks uh, a really exciting project called linksdow um, with a goal to basically create the world's greatest golf and leisure community, uh, a mixture of an online community uh, with membership and participation, as well as a real world initial physical facility where folks can join, play, enjoy themselves, and then hopefully over time, build out a global network of those types of clubs. And are you still at Paxos now as well, or have you? I'm an advisor to Paxos, yes, but not on a full-time basis. Uh, there's, yeah, I know in crypto, we, we all do many things, but at some point, three full-time jobs just doesn't quite cut it. I hear you, man. Um, listen, let's go back in time. Give me, how did you start this crazy journey? And then how the hell did you end up in crypto and decide to start a media business? There's a whole bunch there. Yeah. So good question. So basically the first decade of my career, actually I was in media and entertainment. So I started at Disney, uh, working in their corporate development, strategic planning group. So really got excited about working in broadcast television and cable television early on 2001, 2004, worked at a startup in the media space, 2007 to 2009, uh, here in New York. I've, I've been in the tech industry in New York for 15 plus years now. And, uh, and then 2009 found myself at YouTube. So, you know, selling ads uh, for online music. The, so the first decade was all media. And then Google's great in 2010, they allowed me, uh, if you, know, you were performing well in an emerging platform, they would let you switch to another one. So I got to join the emergent Google wallet team, which now is Google Pay, right? So now broadly globally adopted at the time, it was just an internal startup. And was able to switch from media entertainment to fintech at the advent of you know mobile payments. So I spent three years on that team. Uh, was fortunate enough to meet some incredible entrepreneurs there, who later went on to Braintree Venmo, which you know was sort of before Stripe's time. It was the Stripe of the 06 to maybe 13 time period, and uh, really exciting, making it easier to accept payments online. Customers like Uber and Airbnb uh, worked with us, and so I got introduced to crypto. Then we were going to add. Bitcoin payments to the gateway. So if you took an Uber, if you booked an Airbnb, you could pay with Bitcoin. Um, what, what year was this? This was 2013. And wow. uh, yeah, so it was exciting. And you know, we had Braintree owned Venmo at this point. There were only about 30,000 month- monthly active users. Uh, and PayPal made a great spot. David Marcus was running at the time and he acquired Braintree for about a billion dollars, a little bit less and, and got Venmo with that. When PayPal acquired Braintree Venmo, they killed the plans at that time for Bitcoin payments uh, in the apps. And I think it was 
the right call, given that you know, today, for a host of reasons that we can talk about, and we all know, you know, high fees, low throughput, um, that hopefully changes with Lightning, but yeah, that's to be seen still eight years later, uh, it would have probably not been you know, the right choice to have Bitcoin payments at that time. But I got excited about it. You know, the promise of censorship resistant global instantaneous payments. And so I bought some Bitcoin in 2013 after meeting with the Coinbase team, after meeting with Bology, uh, who was at A16Z at the time and you know, working closely with the Coinbase team. So, you know, he... By talking four times faster than me and you know four times more intelligently, yeah, it was just like, oh my gosh, I've got to buy this stuff. Um, put it on the table for a bit. Uh, started a traditional tech company that you know raised venture capital, is doing well in the mobile affiliate space, and then 2017, you know, owned the Bitcoin, saw the other things happening. I was actually a bit of a Bitcoin maximalist, maybe more than a bit until about 2018 late 2018 you're going to admit that on text. yes <laughs> yes they probably they don't want to they don't want to have me anymore so now everybody's like you were never a bitcoin maximalist it's clear you're a shitcoiner but the um you know so <laughs> nobody will have me you know the maxis the 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 ETH heads but but bottom line is i've always tried to stay curious so in 2018 early 2018 when i wanted to enter crypto full time uh because i just saw how dynamic it was i saw um, you know, just an incredible explosion of you know, some of the best entrepreneurs moving into the space. Um, I decided to move in, start the block because every question I'd ask, and I'm not an engineer, every question I'd ask, I'd have 10 more questions. I couldn't answer them myself. And I realized no individual could. So wanted to you know, bring together a team that could create these answers and help onboard you know, more folks into the crypto ecosystem. Uh, so we raised a little bit of money and then we proceeded to go directly into a brutal bear market. And so instead of the vision of, you know, the block being a great- Startup life, people make it really glamorous. It's actually fucking shit. Oh, Most of the time you're just terrified. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like today, you know, with the, it's like every day there's another, there's another adventure. Um, the, uh, so basically what we end up doing is going pure, you know, institutional, and developed a really healthy business. Uh, it just wasn't my passion, you know, selling research information media. It's a noble one and it's fantastic. It's a great business. Uh, so sold it last year to the team and you know, they're doing an incredible job over hundred employees. And I'm sure you, you know, intersect with that team and they're really, really wonderful. So I'm really proud of what they've built and that I was able to recruit in such a great group of folks. Um, but that was my introduction. I met so many people. It's just a wonderful thing. I mean, in the same way that you do as you build an incredible platform Form. And it's positioned me really fortunately to know, you know, who's doing what interesting things globally. And you can literally. It's so 15... privileged to be. It's so <laughs> privileged to be the epicenter of media in this space because you get yeah. to see and talk to everybody. Exactly. And we, you know, we made a choice, the block to basically, you know, integrate the media and journalism piece with research, which therefore uh, sort of negates your ability to invest uh, as as an entity, whereas I've seen some other really amazing models, Delphi Digital probably standing out in that regard, where they were able to use their research to then start working with projects on tokenomics yeah. um, and you know developed incredible expertise through the team, and now are sort of giants of investing uh, in addition to providing great research and counsel. Just different models, but you know my inclination was that I wanted to go that route and start to actually really get my hands dirty with teams versus just researching and reporting on them, and so that's how I ended up. It, you know, becoming one of these you know, evil Web3 VCs, as, as Jack has lately been uh, you know, talking about. And obviously, you know, I've casually known Jack for, for a number of years and his team and have great respect for him. And I you know, understand some of the themes that he's talking about and the motivations behind some of his comments, even if they're a little punchy right now. And then uh, another person who, who intersected both our lives, Chad Cascarilla, um, and Emil Woods obviously passed your way. They were the people who got me into Bitcoin back in 2012, 13. So. Geniuses. So, um, you know, basically saw around corners, I think, far earlier than than any of us. Um, you know, were amongst a handful of maybe a few, few hundred at most, you know, a couple thousand people who did. And, you know, not only you know, invested their time um, to, to learn, be curious, participate in the network and stuck with it. The beauty of what they've... But I, I bought Bitcoin on um, ItBit 
back in 2013. Exactly. So, and, and they're real entrepreneurs, right? So they went through four iterations of ItBit to Paxos. Some of the most amazing people in the ecosystem have been through that um, organization. And you know now it's scaling into a crypto infrastructure provider across all asset classes, right? From cash, you know, meaning stable coins, to pure crypto, to securities, to commodities, that I think is going to make an incredibly meaningful difference in the world. So, you know, Chad, not only and Emil, you know, seeing it early, but then sticking with it and staying so principled and continue to build. It's, it's amazing. Your brain needs support and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, I've got Chad coming on soon, actually. I haven't caught up with him for a while. But um, before we dig into VC and the future and what's going on, let's talk about stablecoins for a bit. Yeah. How do you see the landscape um, developing there? Yeah, so the... Concern I think that a lot of folks have is that stablecoins today, you know, in the current regulatory environment, become you know potentially as they grow, uh, particularly as you see Tether grow, as you see USDC grow, Paxos issued stablecoins grow, that they become these systemic risk and choke points, uh, you know, for for regulators to sort of turn off on ramps and off ramps. Um, so you know, one, cl- you know, I look at them a little bit differently in that I, I actually think stable coins um, that are regulated give us the ability to get something that looks like crypto and runs on public networks into hundreds of millions and potentially billions of wallets. I agree. And I think that outweighs everything. Precisely. Once you've on, you know, the flow is on ramp, you know, via regulated stable coin into regulated, you know app like a PayPal or a Facebook Novi. And then from there, they're all enabling transfers and you'll have the ability to transfer out to a self-custodial wallet. And to me, that's the most likely on-ramp for the rest of the world and helps. I think stablecoins help turn crypto from something that's purely an institutional playground today and something that, you know, frankly, even people like me who don't come from a markets background don't fully grok uh, to something that makes sense in everyday lives. You know, international payments, remittances that are always on low fee uh, and pegged to a stable currency. So I think they're really positive. But I understand the fears that, you know, we're hearing a lot of hawkish comments out of the you know, predominantly Democratic, uh, you know, administration in the United States. You know, there are some concerns around China's CBDC being, you know, not a real stable, but like more of a uh, surveillance currency. And so I think it's important. In fact, more than I think it's critically important that we see, you, you know, whether it be algorithmic, whether it be over collateralized, whether it be under collateralized with other models, stable coins come into existence that are outside of you know, full regulation and state control. And there's a healthy, healthy market for those developing. Um, I can say that I'm probably not the expert who should talk to you about, you know, how the actual economics of those work. And and historically, they've been risky and have not, you know, most of them over the past three, four, five years haven't held their peg consistently. So they're still sort of almost risk assets for speculators. At the same time, I think, you know, models like Terra's UST show some potential emergent promise towards moving towards, you know, vibrant, decentralized ecosystems that are that have a stable coin at the core of how the network and the ecosystem operates. I think that's important. So that's exciting. And then, um, you know, I think we're going to have a world with more than one stable coin issuer of, of USD stable coin issuer of size right now. USDC is, is significantly the leader. I think that'll change again, as we get past institutional use cases to payments, remittances, et cetera. So extremely important to onboarding something people understand, and hopefully our goal should always be to get folks to eventually move from those custodial wallets into um, safe you know, self-custody wallets. Yeah, and I think, you know, I've always said the same thing. This is all good. It's onboarding. I don't get the surveillance thing. They can find any single payment in your bank account, every credit card payment you've ever made. How much do you actually pay in cash? Yeah, it's to your weed dealer. I mean, it's just really, it's not relevant. Totally. So, uh, so I don't think that that is... 
is I think it's a red herring generally. I understand people's concerns over privacy. We sold our privacy to Google uh, 15 years ago, and we're never getting it back. Um, well, Web3 might change that. It, it has a possibility. I mean, there's been a funny sort of joke going around about DSO, which you know used to be like BitClout was their first application, and now they're launching another one uh, with an app that has sign-in with Google. Um, yet that's not Web3, and I think we really need to create, and, and I saw it over the last 24 hours, folks pushing back on that. We really have a great opportunity to create new norms and uh, not take shortcuts that basically completely undermine the ethos of what we're doing of you know self-sovereign identity by saying hey you know i think we can give folks more credit for if we provide elegant onboard that doesn't have them authenticate with google and centralized intermediaries that they will do so and you know there are folks like rainbow wallet and argent and you know, many others um zengo who do that in an elegant way I also think, you know, again, they, everybody pushes back, but I think everyone's missing the big picture. I think Facebook Novi is really important and the whole stablecoin. Now they partnered with Paxos on that. This is a big deal. That's the biggest network that exists on earth. Yeah. So, you know, clearly that isn't the uh, you know, cy cyberpunk's like, you know, vision of ultimately what cryptocurrency is. But what it is, is a this is truly a 10x improvement, in my opinion, over having closed balances that never leave a wallet. Like, for example, if you hold crypto today in Robinhood, even in PayPal today, it's it's there. It's not yours. You don't hold the keys to it. Um, you can't move it. So, you know, Novi and and others, you're moving in that direction in the coming years is just a 10x improvement over having these stored balances that are only, you know, useful within their network. And I think you're going to see a market evolve and there's going to be competition around these uh, stable coins as well. So the incentives will be, you know, PayPal, is going to want to have you know their branded stable coin out in the market just as usdc you know coinbase wants theirs and i think having a few options at least creates a competitive market and again these are riding on public blockchains and they're instantaneously and easily transferable into truly decentralized cryptocurrencies like eth like solana etc so do you think therefore the fed coin let's call it that for now is an institutional asset and they allow the private sector or do they become the on-ramps to the private sector, so control the, the stablecoin providers, make sure it's compliant with what they need? H how does that integration work? Because it's not clear yet. I think you just summed it up. It's not clear yet, and it's, it's, it's purely a theoretical exercise to try to even speculate on what FedCoin ultimately would look like. I mean, candidly, we're going to have a different administration by the time that ever you know makes it out into reality we're at the period of you know fairly somewhat informed uh you know kind of economic research into this uh but it's certainly heavily heavily skewed by early thought leaders who you know folks like rohan gray who are to maybe anti crypt you know, open cryptocurrencies but on the other side you know certainly people who are huge proponents and have a huge vested interest in existing cryptocurrency so um I guess suffice to say, I don't know. Like, I don't know if a U.S. CBDC is going to be ultimately, you know, distributed out through the existing banking system. Uh, I don't know if a different model will exist where you'll have new infrastructure providers like PayPal and, um, you know, and Paxos and others who, you know, take the role that in the past, you know, kind of you know, banks that faced uh, the Fed have played it's it's just it's it's really unclear if there's going to be new licensing and new types of bank licenses available you know for new issues of these CBDCs but the way i see it breaking down practically is you know on a day-to-day -day basis i don't really mind and you you probably don't either most people you know a dollar converted into a digital dollar that i use to pay for my coffee that's extremely different than uh, and I hope it remains different, you know, meaning maybe these privately issued stable coins that are fully backed, have incredible scrutiny and are regulated, but are on ramps to true crypto you know, and Web3 applications. I, I kind of hope and think there's a good chance the majority of the comedy, economy operates you know, via CBDC and perhaps traditional currency, paper currency until it's phased out. 
over decades. But then over here, you have this entire, you know, really compelling, interesting uh, economy that develops that you can, once you're in, you actually don't need to leave it. You know, you can play games, you can use applications, the currencies are globally available, there's enough folks on the other side of it who will accept it as payments. I think that's what's going to happen. Then the question is just how is that, you know, how are sort of, I think the most important thing is just what's the taxation around that and how does the government get its cut of it? I just don't think you could ever put the genie back in the bottle and imply that, you know, that world is going to run with CBDCs as the underlying, you know, reserve currency. No. And, you know, I've always called it a parallel financial universe that's being built, but it's not parallel at all, actually. They converge. And as you say, everybody's moving to digital rails. And in the end, the whole thing will become one and there'll be different ways of accessing it for different use cases. Um, and, you know, I think that's great. I mean, I love the fact that it's coming at the same time they're building it. What's really interesting to me is I never thought I'd say these words, but the ECB might be faster than the Fed in doing this. Certainly, it certainly seems that way. The, I think they, they might have some, some more urgent uh, reasons for that as well, you know, just given... Uh, you know, maybe the relative strength of, of the euro, et cetera. But um, yeah, it'll be very interesting to watch. And they've, they've got a broken banking sector. So for them, Bingo. they yeah. get the ability to give stimulus to people in their hands and not let it get stuck in the banks. Yep, that's that's exactly right. Whereas, you know, the US can sort of, you know, I think some people feel like it's risky, but I just don't see, you know, China's CBDC leaking over into, you know, real trade in places where, you know, China's currency hasn't existed in trade. I could be wrong. It probably will grow to some extent, but it's not going to grow to, you know, 30, 40% of the world reserve currency, in my opinion. Um, and so the U.S., you know, has that option to sit back almost like Apple, watch innovation happen, and then at the right time, push forward in a really well thought out comprehensive way, their CBDC solution. The US does not need to be a first mover here. No, dead right. So let's move on a bit to VC and kind of the future, how you see it. I mean, there is a, I think I officially use the word shit ton going on, right? It's, it's almost impossible. I just want to see how you're framing it in your mind, where the opportunities lie, what's getting exciting for you, where you're deploying capital, Interesting stuff you're seeing um, because there is a lot going on, as you said. Absolutely. So, um, and you mean specifically within crypto? Yeah, specifically within crypto to start with. And we can talk about other stuff if there's anything else that interests you. Yeah, absolutely. So the, you know, so, so the trends, uh, you know, basically, you know, if you look at any Q4 report in the block or other places, you know, the amount of capital that flowed into the space was actually deployed, the amount of capital that was raised by folks like A16Z Paradigm and a bunch of other folks like ourselves, you know, reached all time highs. So, you know, there's capital that is coming into the market. There's demand, you know, to put capital to work in, you know, Web3 and pure crypto trading and infrastructure in things like Bitcoin mining, et cetera. So there's no shortage of capital and the uh, there's an increasing number of entrepreneurs pouring into the space, both you know, folks coming up in their late teens, you know, early 20s, who are just sort of skipping over traditional tech and coming straight into the crypto slash Web3 ecosystem, as well as folks moving from other industries and moving from tech. Now, you know, that migration happens, you know, call it every decade. Originally, it was like Web1 to over to Google, you know, and, and Facebook, et cetera. It was from folks, you know, doing traditional stuff into mobile. And, you know, the next big and, and cloud was a big shift from, you know, moving from Cisco to sort of cloud businesses. What we're now seeing is that shift to crypto. So you've got money flows and you've got people flows uh, into the crypto and Web3 ecosystem. What that obviously has led to, and you know, I think you're seeing it over the past 45 days or so in the markets, is probably an exuberance in you know, prices of, for example, many newly issued assets in the crypto space and tokens trading at you know, astronomical, you know, fully diluted network valuations before products have even you know, reached the market, never mind reached maturity. Um, but that being said, the amount of building that's happening is is truly incredible. And so the way that I see sort of the market breaking out is, you know, there's not a tremendous amount of like VC investment right now, let's say into Bitcoin specifically, right? It's a very stable 
large established network. We generally know like what it's going to be doing for a decent period of time. It's digital gold. Um, you can certainly allocate you know, with, with the ability maybe if Lightning Network scales to have you know, money movement and payments, but it's not something that I see a tremendous number of like early risk capitalists, yeah, looking, putting, you know, putting money to work. And frankly, you know, that community has actually rejected, you know, and some of the really interesting experiments happening, things like, uh, you know, what Blockstack has done with blocks and trying to build like a, almost like a quote unquote layer two on top of Bitcoin. They get a lot of heat from the early Bitcoin community around that. But I, you know, some interesting things are being built. There's just not as much money going there as there are to other blockchains. So Ethereum is the next, ecosystem clearly a lot of work there still happening at the protocol layer as we move towards the merge uh, moving from you know, proof of work to proof of stake uh you know, trying to scale because it's just been painful to try to do anything as a normal human on the ethereum network uh over the last six to seven months since the summer um, as we've seen an explosion of applications on top of ethereum now that's exciting like you definitely want to be investing and building in a space that's so crowded that there's almost no room. So then it's like it bursts. And then, you know, basically, how do we then grow that? And Ethereum is growing through, you know, roll-ups, you know, things like our Arbitrum, uh, through layer twos or side chains like Polygon, I'm sorry. Uh, and it, you know, but there's a lot of work to be done to make it easy to use. And so, you know, I feel comfortable putting money to work in the Ethereum application ecosystem and have confidence that we'll find ways to you know, scale throughput. But more than that, we need to find ways to make it easy for people to move, you know, from native ETH to Polygon, um, to Arbitrum. And so there are a bunch of projects working on that type. So that's the, you know, the type of infrastructure that we're investing in at the early stage that I find that very, connectivity very- connectivity layer to pull these things together. Yeah. So it's a seamless experience. Exactly. And so, you know, many VCs uh, have invested in the infrastructure, like the actual, like again, Arbitrum and Starkware and others who are actually helping directly with scaling. And, you know, because I've only been investing in the space for about 15 months, we've just looked more at, yeah, you know, those, those are scaling and at later stage and we're an early stage VC. I can talk about this, but again, tons of money being put into those scaling solutions on Ethereum. The next category so you have Bitcoin, you've got Ethereum and the Ethereum ecosystem. And again, I'm just summarizing and oversimplifying a bit. But the next are these other layer ones. So, you know, there's some phenomenal podcasts that Suzu has done with Hasu on Uncommon Core. You're just talking and, and many folks have talked about this, but the demand on Ethereum, Kyle Samani's talked about it, a big Solana supporter and early investor is now spilling over to other layer ones. And, uh, and this is natural. And so, you know, look, so Solana is an ecosystem that, you know, we made 65 investments last year and uh, out of the last 35, I think 20 were on 20 plus were uh, Solana infrastructure wow. and application investments. So things like play to earn gaming, NFT marketplaces, you know, infrastructure that allows people to build applications, infrastructure that allows people to build DAOs. And so Solana looks like uh, with the developer flows a very, very credible layer one alternative uh, to the Ethereum ecosystem, um, but it's not going to make the Ethereum ecosystem go away. There are, you know, there are different things, different beasts. Ethereum is robust, has been around longer. You know, most many would argue that it's more credibly decentralized than Solana, but there are advantages to the throughput that Solana can offer. Um, and there's a it's whole that triangle of, of yeah, uh, the trilemma, security, right? speed, and cost. Right, exactly. You can't get around it. You can't exactly. Yes. So. And there are other layer ones, right? Near Protocol, uh, Polkadot, Avalanche, so and Terra, and so there have been a and, and many others. I'm, I'm not leaving any out intentionally, but it's exciting to see. And what we we've seen is that the application layers, I'm sorry, the applications themselves have been building across multiple chains now because there's demand, for example, for Aave's borrow lend protocol, you know, not only on Ethereum, but on you know, Avalanche and other uh, layer ones. So that's been exciting to see. I think you know, what we're looking at is a world where applications, some, not all, it depends on like what the ultimate architecture and purposes can run across chains. I think that'll be difficult, for example, for a play to earn game that requires significant rendering and things like that. But for things- but sorry, like, you, Interoperability, I guess, is one of the big things Big theme, yeah, and exactly. Um, so that's been exciting. Uh, and then we've been, so 
and then we've been looking you know, really at where are the best entrepreneurs, what applications are they building? Um, and so our fund is specifically dedicated. So we're assuming investors have today pretty comfortable allocations and and or we'll put those on. They don't need a venture capitalist to do this for them into Bitcoin, into ETH, into, you know, blue chip DeFi. And there are funds that do this on a liquid basis too. many hedge funds that do it. Um, these other layer ones. But even I've started a fund of hedge funds. I love it. I, lo I think it's a great business. I know you know a few folks doing that, and and it's it's important um, because it's really hard for the average person to choose. You need you need a level of expertise. You need a team that's doing this day in and day out to identify you know, who are the best choosers um, and who have, who has the best access. So where we're focused is on Web three. Um, I know it's a bit of a buzzword, but you know, what it means to us is effectively you know, rebuilding the network, the internet, you know, with a set of networks where participants can collectively own, you know, coordinate and govern the networks. And that typically happens, you know, through some uh, you know, token that has different properties, depending on what the network is trying to accomplish from specific utility to governance to other you know, mechanisms. Some have fee capture, some don't today. Uh, and so those types of things, the categories that we're investing in Web3, and the reason we're doing it is it's hard to get exposure to those directly uh, today is, you know, category one is sort of gaming and metaverse. So it would be play to earn gaming, taxi being the poster child, um, metaverse sandbox would be one being the poster child. You know, sandbox today isn't a game, you know. Axie today isn't a metaverse. Uh, and then you have some where you get sort of game and a metaverse in the same box. There are some that are just emerging today, like a Star Atlas or a, or a Wilder World, uh, which will be you know, getting to scale and live in 2022. But the best ones take time to build and don't fully exist yet. So uh, it's been interesting to watch that market develop uh, and to see the valuations um, you know, given the state of... Not, I'm not saying those... You know, entities specifically, but just in general, the market. So it's really important to invest early. And that's what we do, try to get into the first one or two rounds. The other thing that you'll see, by the way, in the market, and I'll get to the other categories of Web3 we're interested in, uh, you'll you'll find that, so these these protocols and projects raise typically much, many fewer rounds than a traditional equity company. So it's like, there's a seed or a pre-seed. You, know, you basically have one, two, or three quick succession rounds, You know, probably in less than a year or 18 months, and then boom, you know, the tokens live and available to the public. Okay. So you see less dilution if you're able to, uh, you know, basically get into the, the deals and support the entrepreneurs from the earliest stages. And that's part of, by the way, the reason some of these prices have been higher than traditional, uh, you know, equity deals. You also have liquidity sooner in many cases, even though they have many of these deals, two to four year uh, vesting schedules. So uh, very interesting crypto versus traditional VC dynamics. Um, the second category we invest in addition to gaming and metaverse is Web3 networks themselves. You know, the joke would be, you know, Kobe, Crypto Cobain has been talking about like Uber, you know, Web3 Uber. I use that as the silliest example, but, you know, there are people working on things like that, you know, Web3 Airbnb, Web3 social networks where, again, you know, stakeholders can participate and be incentivized uh, via tokens. I'm not saying all of these are good ideas, but just this is where there's some experimentation happening. Uh, and then DAOs. So you know, there actually are consumer and business facing DAOs doing things like investments. Um, you know, I started one myself with a group of folks called LinksDAO, where we'd like to create an online community of golf enthusiasts and then actually purchase, you know, separately physical clubs in the real world that the DAO can sort of govern a significant portion of uh, how that uh you know, what the club rules are, what the membership rules are, the culture, uh, and a lot more. So, you know, DAOs is the last, and the last bucket is infrastructure to support this. So as we were talking about interoperability today, it's really difficult for, you know, my dad or, you know, the average person who hasn't spent time outside of their centralized exchange account to actually use crypto. And so we're investing in things that make it easier for people to use crypto. It could be, you know, a wallet like Rainbow that's really easy to set up. Uh, it could be, you know, things that help with these cross-chain swaps in a really elegant and easy way and abstract away a bit of the complexity. So just spending a lot of time looking at infrastructure there. It could be developer infrastructure as well. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. 
pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Yeah, I mean, there, there is so much going on in this whole Web3, and we don't know what it means. For me, it's something to do with a community owning part of the community, whatever that is, whatever that means. I think we'll see literally hundreds of applications. I, I was speaking to a, a guy earlier who's building, who's, who's writing a book or a screenplay about NFTs by issuing NFTs. I, I mean, love did, it. Which which project is that? I think I heard about this. Is that's it, um, is um, it Neil Strauss or is that another one? There's a no. Couple this that, is Ben yeah. who has who Ben Nazareth. Yeah. yeah, Ben. Yeah. He, you know, he he did he wrote the Social Network. So cool. Um, and you know, he writes for billions and he does all sorts of amazing stuff. And he's funding it by NFTs, getting a community behind the project, building it from the bottoms up. I like the fact that. People kind of know what they're getting. Some of the things like Friends with Benefits, also interesting, but you don't kind of know what you're getting. But or this, what the entity is, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's really clear that what he's about to do, and I, I'm not even sure he yet realizes it, but he's about to upend the entire publishing industry and the entire movie industry in the same thing because of the power of community. I just love this stuff. No, and I, you know, number couple of my friends actually participated in that project with him. And it, yeah, it blows my mind. It's so participatory. You're building the community interest as you go. Again, same theme that we're doing with Linksdow. We now have 13,000 Discord members, 5,000 NFT holders who care about, you know, a golf and leisure course or a network of them globally. Uh, whereas historically, you know, you'd basically go spend $20 million on a plot of land somewhere, purchase it before you even knew if there were going to be demand for that thing. It's just so exciting to be able to build the community, get the enthusiasm, show and demonstrate, um, you know, what your ethos is and the promises, uh, you know, and, and so, and people have, I think we've undersold the imagination. We see a lot of snarkiness and doubt in whether it be mainstream media, whether it be in you know, some Twitter comments, but there is enough interest, emergent, really exciting interest for people to participate, spend time, and, and frankly, learn. And that's what's been so exciting. We, we kind of have, I think, a golden era of imagination right now. And we just, it's on all, incumbent upon all of us to kind of deliver. So to put the capital to work into projects that are actually meaningful um, to, so again, put social norms around you know, people who sort of rug and run off and sort of take the money and run because there's going to be some of that. Um, and so it's gonna be a very interesting year and really the most, probably the most critical in terms of migrating crypto from, you know, an insular financial markets only ecosystem to one that, you know, the masses are becoming aware of and actually using. Yeah. The Dow structure, jury's still out for me. For some things, it works brilliantly well. And other, you know, people are like, we want to form a Dow, we want to do this. And I'm like, okay, well, can you ever sell your business ever again? Can you actually realize the capital that you have in your business? Well, I don't oh. know. I'm like, well, you need to check this kind of stuff. It's a great question. So basically what we've done with LinksDAO, and again, it's very early and emergent and we're exploring uh, effectively how to you know, affiliate the two, the both a DAO and then a corporate structure to actually acquire the asset and operate the asset. How is it possible to use a DAO to accomplish all of the, all of the objectives, you know, a treasury to basically create an online world community game club rules, norms, and access to a physical, you know, uh, club. But frankly, to your point, make the governance work in a way that doesn't sort of turn progress into molasses, where, you know, you're just stuck in this endless cycle of like voting on things and never coming to resolution. It's a grand experiment, far from guaranteed to work. The advantage is you get this like rapidly excited community um, that has resources to apply energy and you know, financial, uh, you know, grants and things of that against experiments. But you also are definitely slowed down by not having a focused, centralized, you know, call it 10-person executive team. A good friend of mine, he was part of an advertising agency, a really trendy advertising agency in the 90s in the UK. And what they thought they'd do was 
the right thing, which was like, we're going to give everybody who works for the company an equal vote, and we're going to be this democratic, amazing new business that's not driven by the powers that be. What it ended up was there was an M&A thing, and I think it was the lady who made and served the tea in the afternoons held up the vote, (laughs) and they had to dissolve the company. Oh, my goodness. I'm laughing. Because they could not make decisions anymore because everybody had vested interests. It's kind of – it was a really weird setup. So – there's going to be a lot of experimentation that needs to happen to figure it out. Yep. And then like it, it really, these are really exciting, fun experiments around, you know, like that, that one, like you're never going to get to unanimity amongst again, 5,000 holders in our case. So, you know, what voting threshold do you need to make the varying degrees of decisions? And uh, yeah, it's unclear. All I can say is we're building lots of tooling. I mean, not me, not me alone, meaning the ecosystem is building a lot of tooling around how do we communicate? How do we make proposals? How do we organize into guilds of specialists? How do we uh, vote and record the votes? And then how do we actually act? You know, we have treasury management tools, um, you, know, you could look at it and say, well, we're just reinventing the corporation. I'm more optimistic than that and really think that with the transparency and the community tools that we have, people are participating and are going to be more active. That being said, to date, you know, as you think about DAOs primarily, they haven't, you know, most um, most DeFi, for example, are sort of DAOs in a sense, and they're heavily concentrated with you know, VCs having a significant portion of the vote. You know, that's the thing I think moving po- forward, VCs and you know, really large holders, moving forward, we need to move. And Jack you know, Dorsey has pointed this out to a more decentralized and distributed voting structure for these things. To I think credible. that's a maturity issue, right? It's the same oh, question. You know, right now, Elon Musk owns most of Tesla still, and a lot of um, SpaceX, but over time it gets distributed amongst a, a broader base and then it's very different. So I don't really have a problem with it because without the entrepreneur making decisions or a few key people, you don't get anywhere. So I'm in the same boat. And uh, and I think what's good is people like me and others are, are saying, hey, you know, we recognize, by the way, the shortcomings of today. I think everybody's moved for a lot of people move from a defensive posture to a we realize the shortcomings and it's on us to actually deliver the promise that uh, that we think you know exists. And I'm extremely optimistic. I mean, I think if you look at people who have had emergent positive ideas, uh, that used crypto networks and tokens and assets over the past 12 years since Bitcoin was invented. The long arc of history shows that you're seeing a lot more progress than you know, a significant amount more than the skeptics would have you believe could have been possible. How are you looking at the other thing that's, you know, NFTs have gone mainstream, but they've only just started. We're talking about, we're talking about now funding books from creating NFTs. There's a lot. And social tokens. Those are the two things that I think are really mainstream. How are you yeah. thinking through any of that? Yeah, so social tokens, I think, are uh, a little bit early. Um, I risk, I worry that we might be getting ahead of ourselves uh, with that. And by social tokens, I think you mean more sort of like, uh, do you mean ones like around com- like individuals and the communities that they own? Yeah, I think... Uh, communities, whether it's brands, music artists, sports teams, you know, where there's fandom and a community that wants to participate and network with each other essentially so i love the experiments i've seen some of them work in a really fun way like socios tokens that uh exist within sports teams um they're a positive thing i just don't know uh so those are fun and give governance rights over certain things um but i don't think we've found like the killer app and and i I think people are starting to experiment. You know, you see Royal in music, you know, where you can kind of like, I, I think it'll become much more exciting. And this is what we're striving for with LinksDAO um, is over time, I think something like Royal, where you own the rights, like the actual financial asset, the IP of the music, that's exciting. So, you know, as yeah, these just, social tokens- I had Justin on, yeah. I had Justin on, on fr- last Friday. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, he he's he and that team, they're brilliant. And he's just a total pioneer. I think Nas, right, is doing their first, like, I mean, he's done one, but they're, they're doing a drop of some Nas uh, music, which is just so exciting. So social tokens is just like, hey, this somehow tracks the popularity um, of the individual. I, I don't get that excited about. 
um, what I get excited about is giving fans the ability to have a vested interest in the success of artists that they identify. The challenge is just, it's a little murky what you can do with tokens from a regulatory perspective in the US. What I'm excited by is that so many people are sort of pushing the envelope. And I wouldn't say like, I would encourage people to ask for forgiveness, not permission, but I do think that there, that right now I feel a healthy ecosystem of willing, you know, fans and, and willing, uh, call it celebrities or people with communities, you know, doing light testing. And so I'm excited about that. I'd love to see, by the way, you know, the U.S. regulatory bodies give sort of a, they, they never will. They, they let They're not even close to making a decision. No. They haven't even made a decision about bloody XRP and <laughs> Ethereum, let alone. I know. We're seeing them backtracking on token. Ethereum today, right? I think I read some comments from Gensler this morning. So, yeah, unfortunately, we have sort of a culture of enforcement, not through uh, rulemaking, but through litigation. But the good news is... And I think what's happening is we're seeing so many people experiment doing really reasonable, you know, non-scammy things. Like you know, this is different than Floyd Mayweather, like pumping a token ICO three years ago. This is artists actually giving true IP to, you know, the fans. And so that's sort of what's exciting about social tokens. With NFTs, um, you know, I, I love one, how they've started to capture the imagination of folks around things they already love to do. You know, NFT-based gaming, where I can now actually own the asset versus spend, you know, six hours playing Fortnite or another game. And, you know, it all just sort of stays in the economy. I can actually acquire these assets that can be used outside of the game. I know not everybody loves it, but it's attractive to enough people that we're seeing success there. Um, NFTs that are collectibles like NBA Top Shot. It was way more fun to collect Top Shot moments than it was to collect your top baseball card. Like I started collecting them and I hadn't collected in 30 years. This is what got me into NFTs. As you see more of this, you get more folks excited and they start creating wallets. Um, you know, Tom Brady's autograph is another example. And you know, you've just seen the explosion of usage of OpenSea. Um, and what's cool is that, you know, it's not, so there's, there's so many categories now there's collectibles, there's genuine art, there's generative art. And then there's these PFP projects that are creating some really fun, dynamic communities that a lot, again, you can sort of scoff at any individual one, but you see a lot of really passionate people identifying with specific ones. Um, and I love to see kind of the financial value tied to people's belief in the community. And I think these, you know, again, it's emergent. It looks like a toy to use like Chris Dixon's, everything starts out looking like a toy, uh, famous phrase, but it's going to have meaningful impacts as we move towards, for example, NFTs as digital identity, NFTs as, you know, passports that display your on-chain activity. Um, we invested in a company called POAP, Proof of Attendance Protocol, that shows, you know, things that you've gone to that can give some credibility. It's like, you know, you the stickers that you used to put on your, like, backpack or your car or whatever to show, like, what tribes you're a part of. Um, this is fun. And, and it, I think it starts to go from fun to meaningful in the coming years. The big thing for me is the wallet. I mean, it's still not a great experience. I would agree. I mean, even I was setting up my rainbow wallet and I just kind of gave up. I just got a bit bored of trying to set it up. And it's like, you know, and then there's the, if somebody gives you an NFT that's on Solana and you've got a, a wallet that's an Ethereum wallet, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, so everything yeah, is different. I can tell you that the greatest you know, entrepreneurs in the world, I mean, we're, we're small investors in Rainbow. It's an incredible team. I would say give, give Mike and team that feedback and, and they're extremely rapidly respond. Tweet at him. You know, he, he's a lot of fun on Twitter as well. But um, look, I, I think, you know, you're right in some respects. I think it's also challenging for people. There's always this fear, like, am I being secure enough when I set something up? And I think that is going to be a turnoff for folks who are maybe you're pretty informed, but maybe uh, like not completely up to speed. Uh, and so, and that's pretty much everybody. That's not an insult. That's like very sophisticated technologists who haven't had to think about self-custody. We're all terrified. Transfer, we're Bingo. all terrified. Every yeah. time we transfer an asset, we put the <laughs> bloody know. link in and we're like, did I get it right? Still, I mean, when we you know when we send stablecoin for investments, you know, you send a dollar, you know, before you send the full transaction, just to make sure that you have the addresses right. So, you know, I would love it if we could see just basic things like that be automated, you know, so that you could send this test transaction. If it works, the next one goes through. Like those are, I'm just using that as a simple example of things that will get easier. But yeah, we're so um, 
you know, we're so early in terms of UI UX. The, the beautiful thing, again, is uh, there's a, you know, Bobby Goodlap, for example, somebody who has, you know, worked in design early at Facebook and a bunch of other companies. You know, he now has a firm called Form Capital, and he's investing in crypto, in Web3, among other things. But he brings, you know, really high caliber Web2 best in the world design expertise and is a functional VC. So that's a trend, by the way, you asked about VC that I love functional VCs who have that expertise. For me, you know, my functional expertise is community building, PR, comms, marketing. And as you look at, by the way, I never answered this earlier, how these rounds are being composed in crypto. They're often syndicates where you're looking for a group of folks. You know, Maybe you look at a uh, Delphi Digital who has experience in tokenomics and Animoca who has deep experience in gaming, you know, Bobby who has some experience in design, um, you know, angels who have experience in uh, go-to-market. Because yeah, my, my Money's not enough anymore. Not you even need close. To help, you need to help the community, essentially. If not, you're not valued. Yeah, and you have to love it. Like, you're in – I spend so much of my day in Telegram groups and other chats with, you know, the investors that I'm investing alongside and the entrepreneurs themselves. And they turn into these really vibrant communities. They spill over. You know, many of these projects, they start with dozens of people, and then, you know, maybe a quarter of them go off and start working on an offshoot project. But it still has ties back to the original one. It's just really awesome to see. Um, and I'm excited to see that start to spill over, by the way, into, you know, how we think about, like, some of these growth stage and more scaled uh, companies. By the way, this is what's so exciting about crypto is these projects, these kind of like DAOs or emergent projects that don't look like corporations, that don't have like non-competes and try and keep people in one place. It, like Linksdow. Yeah, I'm working on it as non-executive chairman. It's a part-time thing. Many of the leadership are, uh, you know, of the incorporation are in the same uh, role, you know, in the same place. And then you have a few full-time folks who are deep, deep stewards of uh, of you know, where that project goes. Uh, and I think that's the future of the world. So it's sort of asset light, people moving in and out, lots of contractors, contributors, and then communities that ultimately drive the shape of what those you know, brands deliver. You know, Mike, it's a fascinating world. Everybody's having fun. I, I say this a lot these days. They're all exhausted. I mean, keeping on top of all of this stuff is a nightmare, <laughs> no. right? Telegram, you know, WhatsApp, Twitter, Discord, everything. It's like it's I had to turn off eight different communications methods, I think, before we started this podcast, just so I wouldn't get any notifications. <laughs> I mean, it's too much, right? But it is. But it's fun. we have to fix it's that, fun. by the way. I'm, I'll invest in whoever has the uh, the best. Who can put know, it all in one place? Exactly. Exactly. Brilliant, Mike. Listen, thank you. Really enjoyed our chat. I did too. Uh, as well. I'll definitely thank touch you. base with you again to. Uh, hear what's going because you seem to be always at the epicenter of everything so i'm just going to touch base with you all right i appreciate it likewise Raul. just an absolute pleasure thank you i appreciate it see you soon all right cheers brother hey there since you got to the end i'm guessing you liked the video and that's probably because we don't just turn on a camera and film we work really hard on getting the narrative flow just right and that's why many finance companies are actually now hiring real vision to make videos for them one of our recent client videos just hit a hundred thousand organic views on youtube and there were no kittens in sight so if you want to find out how real vision can make a video for your company just email us at custom at realvision.com <laughs>